0: Hey guys, it's Chris here. I wanted to jump on real quick and give you an update as to what's going on with the podcast and why there isn't a story episode today. As of right now, my wife and I are traveling in our camper van across the country, visiting friends and family. And to be completely honest, this week has been super busy. I haven't had a moment's time to really focus on the story episode and that is definitely in the works, but I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. In today's episode, we're going to be listening to an interview with Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Now, if you recall from episode one, Grandma's UFO Encounter, Dr. J. Allen Hynek was the lead investigator hired by the government to investigate the strange UFO encounters that were happening in Michigan during 1966. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to that first. Now this interview was conducted in 1977, so 10 years after Grandma's UFO encounter. Dr. Hynek has changed his opinion over the years and has really made it his life's mission to figure out what on earth these UFO sightings are. In the interview conducted by J.P. McCarthy, you get to really hear the hard-hitting questions and Dr. Hynek I think handles it very scientifically and practically. But it's also extremely fascinating how he's changed his viewpoint on what these things are. People also call in with their experiences, he answers their questions, and this may seem dated, but I think it's very applicable to what we're experiencing today with all of the news and the UFO sightings that are happening around the world. So without further ado, here's the interview with Dr. J. Allen Hynek.
1: There has been new interest rekindled because of the incredible success of a movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for which uh, Dr. Hynek was a technical consultant, made a cameo appearance, as a matter of fact. And uh, we thought it might be interesting to peruse with him some of the reports over the last 30 years and the information that he has sifted through and see what he really thinks about it all. Some of his credentials, well... Uh, he, for years, headed up the Air Force's investigations into unidentified flying objects. He himself was a debunker for a very long time. You remember the marsh gas explanation for the sightings in Washtenaw County and in Hillsdale ten years ago? That was Dr. Hynek's idea. Um, he, uh, until very recently was professor of the astronomy department at, uh, Northwestern University. He's head of the, uh, Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, and he has devoted a good portion Uh, of his life into studying the phenomenon known as UFOs. Dr. Hynek, on a very snowy, blowy morning on this Friday in Detroit, we're pleased that you were here. Welcome. Well, I'm glad to be here. I wanted to uh, correct two minor points. One is I did not head up the uh, Air Force thing. I was a consultant to them. And I still am professor of astronomy at Northwestern. I, I did not, uh, I have one more year to go there before when the I, calendar I, catches up. I thought up, I read you? something just this morning. I'd been advertising all week long. I uh, thought I'd read something just this morning that said that you had resigned that. I'm, I'm oh, glad. I resigned my chairmanship. I was oh. chairman for 15 years, yes. Okay. Well, you were but, still with Northwestern. Oh, yes, still with Northwestern, right. The, the, you know, unidentified flying objects have been uh, popular since 1947, 1948. Uh, uh, w- when the, the first bevy of them were sighted. Before that, were there any reports in history, as far as you're concerned, of UFOs? Oh, yes, there were many reports, but still so they're so hard to track down. Uh, even now, if a report is more than, I say, a year or two old, it's hard to track down. But, uh, we, of course, clear back to biblical times, Ezekiel's Wheel would have been a good example, and uh, Saul of Tarsus and the road to Damascus. and uh, oh. All through history there have been (laughs) reports and stories of strange sights in the sky and on the ground. But I have my hands so full with the present ones, I mean the current ones, that uh, it's hardly any point to worry about the others. How do you go about investigating a uh, UFO report? Uh, You get a report of a sighting, do you, if it sounds reasonable to you, do you then contact the people and and do an in-depth interview with them? Oh, not only the people, but uh, a lot of peripheral uh, material. We have an outgoing Watts line, and uh, we have a full-time paid investigator, and as calls come in, and we get through our police hotline, we get uh, several calls a day, certainly. He then contacts not only the original witnesses, but the police departments in that area, the FAA, the Weather Bureau, NORAD, radar installations. In other words, he does everything he can to break it down into a normal thing. you say, who, who are you talking about now? I'm talking about our paid investigator, Mr. Alan Hendry, who is the chap who uh, does a very fine job in tracking down. And then, of course, we have a core of investigators around the country who uh, so we, we can enlist on a volunteer volunteer basis. Are, are there some that are uh, just so ridiculous and uh, seem so unlikely to be anything worthwhile that you just simply, on the, after the initial evidence, you don't bother investigating them any further? Well, it's the ones that are unlikely, the strange ones, are the ones we really find we have to investigate. The ones that we don't have to investigate are so typical. For instance, uh, we'll get uh, stories of that are generated by these advertising planes you know, the planes that have these rotating marquee mm-hmm. lights, from a distance those look like a rotating disc. But we we can spot them, and <clears throat> Mr. Hendry has the phone numbers, of some um, 70 airplane advertising companies, and all we do is call those places and ask them, did you have a plane at that point at that time? Uh, what we do in this, um, the, the publication you have under your elbow there, the International UFO Reporter, each month we publish, if you take a look at the back page, each month we publish a map of the United States in which we plot Mm -hmm. all the cases that have come to our attention. Those that we can solve we put in as, we plot as dots. Those that we can't solve we plot as stars. Of course, it's the stars we're interested in. But you can see also that the dots far outnumber the stars. The people simply are not aware of the number of Purely normal things that a person can see in the sky. Now, what's an IFO? The dots are IFOs. Those are identified flying objects. Okay. And you've got uh, looking in the map. It looks as though there were three or four identified flying objects spotted in the Detroit area. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Uh, each month. Now, this, uh, I think maybe, and I want to mention this several times. Maybe a good starter right now. You started out with the uh, introductory music from Close Encounters, uh, which title, by the way was uh, my title. I I call this the 18 million dollar movie with a thousand dollar title because that's all I got for the title. Let's uh, t- <laughs> you described this to me on the phone a month ago or so, uh, well actually three weeks ago, but let's let's do it again. Let's let's go back to the beginning. What does a close encounter mean? Okay, a close encounter is a sighting that is Close And by close, I mean within a few hundred feet, less than 500 feet generally. In other words, there should be little chance of misidentifying it with a a Venus or a twinkling star. I mean, it's close by. Okay. And they, I divided them purposely into three kinds, close encounter to the first kind, the second kind, the third kind. The first kind is close, but nothing really happens outside the fact that people get frightened, and uh, it's, it's quite an, an experience for them. The close encounters of the second kind are those in which some sort of physical residue, not a part of a UFO, we still don't have a front bumper from a uh, UFO or anything like that, but we do have hundreds of cases, and I mean hundreds, of cases in which at the precise spot where the UFO is seen, there is a burnt ring or holes in the ground that obviously, well, obviously don't seem to be coming from anything else, broken tree branches, animals affected uh animals affected how sir? well they'll, they'll uh, get tremendously panicky cattle will stampede for instance so horses will raise a fuss in the barn and uh, we've had cases of of course dogs uh, wildly barking and that's that's not terribly exciting but we've had cases of a, a bull for instance that was tethered by a to an iron rod through its nose and it got so frightened it bumped the iron rod in half so um that, I'd say, is an animal effect, or an effect on the animal. And we have, at, at the Center for UFO Studies, we have now published a catalog of some 800 of, uh, some 1,100 now, of such cases. Okay. This uh, UFO reporter, uh, this <coughs> monthly that you release for a dollar, we'll get to in just a few minutes. I want to talk to you, though, about the uh, much-celebrated uh, uh, release of information by the Air Force. For years, the Air Force kept the lid on all this UFO information. In uh, People magazine in August 1976, in a big article about you, you said the uh, Air Force uh, will open its UFO files and uh, it will make juicy reading. Well, that's a year and a half ago. Nothing startling has come up. President Carter indicated, or at least uh, US News and World Report magazine uh, indicated that President Carter... uh, this year would make some sort of announcement about UFOs. Nothing, there's always been an awful lot of smoke, but no fire. What is it? What is well, it the about? only only solid thing that's come out of that, see, President Carter asked NASA to, uh, uh, to undertake a study of the UFOs, and they very politely refused. And they had good reasons, but I would like to talk about those later. Uh, the Air Force did, or the National Archives, did release the Files of Project Blue Book on which I was consultant for a good many years and that is uh, incorporated in my new book the uh, which is very modestly called the Hynek UFO report what I do there is I think that does many of those do make juicy reading. Juicy not in the usual newsstand sense but juicy in the sense that it uh, shows how the Air Force really bungled many of the cases and uh, did a very real job of keeping cases from the public they they uh, why why would they do that largely because they had uh, were operating under a very strong recommendation of the from the cia uh, which convened a panel a special panel in 1953 called the robertson panel in which i was an associate member incidentally Uh, the uh, cia was not frightened of ufos they were frightened of ufo reports they were afraid that the public might panic and at that time, particularly, they were terribly concerned about subversive elements in the country. Mm. And they thought that these, these subversive elements the Communists might use the whole UFO phenomenon, the UFO clubs and UFO organizations, as fronts for subversive activities. And so they strongly recommended that the Air Force do everything it can, could to debunk the situation. And you were one of the major and I debunkers. I was one of the major debunkers. I mean, uh, uh, because I thought that the whole thing was a lot of junk. Have you changed your mind? Yes, I certainly. Oh, absolutely significantly, otherwise I wouldn't be heading up the Center for UFO Studies. Do you believe that uh, many of these UFO reports are not only real, but that are extraterrestrially directed? There are three basic theories of the UFO today. One, the first, of course, is that it is complete nonsense. Second is that they are extraterrestrial vehicles. And the third, is that they really represent something from another dimension, a parallel reality. There may be four or five others that I don't know about. Oh, there are some fanciful ones, very fanciful indeed. Uh, All of these are fanciful, except the first one I think that's fanciful too. um, There are some people who speak of our future coming back to look at us and uh, things that would certainly be sheer, sheer science fiction.
0: But, that uh, sounds like
1: science fiction. Did, did, can you even buy the concept of that, our future coming back no, to look at us? I can't. Time so. machine stuff? No, no of, I, I, I can't. can't. Where are they for, What's the parallel reality? Well, that's an intriguing um, concept, uh, and it, it shouldn't bother us so much because, good heavens, I don't know which particular religion you happen to be, but uh, of all of our major religions and great uh, philosophers and prophets of the past have all told us that the physical world is not the whole thing, that there are other planes of existence. Where do angels exist, for instance? The Bible's full of angels, for instance. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be an example of a parallel reality. Or another more practical example is right now, even though we're in a radio studio, there are passing through this room television pictures
2: mm-hmm.
1: that we can't see, but uh, it's, it represents a sort of a parallel reality. Okay. Uh, another dimension, put it that way. Uh, there, there's nothing. Nothing too fanciful about that. I mean, well, there's uh, there's nothing fanciful about it from the sense that it's been discussed for a long time, but when you stop and think about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. A, 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 a two dimensional thing, something that, that has no depth, that doesn't make sense to me. And, no, and no, why no, would it appear suddenly? No, I don't know. Not a two dimensional, but a four or five dimensional. Why would it suddenly appear in ours? in our three-dimensional world. An interface. Have you ever read this little, seen this delightful little book called Flatland by A Square? Yes. And uh, there, you see, it brings it down by one dimension. It, it talks about creatures, triangles, octagons, hexagons, and squares that all live on a large sheet of paper. Yes. And the, uh, the I think it's the triangles have precedence over the squares, and the, when a <laughs> triangle meets a uh, square, the square's got to give way. And one day a sphere comes to visit them. You remember what happens uh, to these people that live in the two dimensions. They first see it as a point and enlarges it to a large circle. And then it disappears again as as the sphere passes through that sheet of paper. You see, Mm -hmm. and all you have to do, and I say, all you have to do is just up that by one dimension. Um, Instead of a two dimensional, we're three dimensional. And a four dimensional thing would appear to us magically it would it would appear by magic much like the Cheshire cat in Alice in Wonderland remember the Cheshire cat that disappeared leaving only its grin where it went into another dimension <laughs> in marsh gas <laughs> you you invented you coined the word uh, 10 years ago or so i want to talk about that and right. get on the telephone too with some listeners who have been very patiently hanging on our number is 875-4476 and dr heinick uh, will answer your calls Okay, we'll see what you have to say. Any close encounters you might have had, or would like to ask. Gee, you have been holding on the, the uh, line very patiently. What is it you'd like to ask Dr. Heinick? Yes, uh, good
3: morning, Dr. Heinick.
1: Good morning.
3: Yes, I have two questions. Uh, number one, under the United States Freedom Information Act, how does a United States citizen obtain a copy of the Project Blue Book?
1: All right, uh, that's available it's a little expensive, but it's available in 94 reels of microfilm that run you about a thousand dollars if you want those. However, that's precisely what I'd, I did. I got those 94 reels and have extracted, taken out the, you might say the juicy parts, and published them in the, uh, the Dell paperback, uh, the Heineck UFO report, which ought to be available in the uh, bookstores around here. And uh, uh, that's your easiest way of, of getting information. If you want to spend $1,000 and buy the 94 reels of microfilm from um, the archives, fine, but it's uh, a little on the expensive side.
3: And uh, my second question is, uh, if a group of men have designed a prototype of a elect- electronic magnetic ion propulsion engine, where would you recommend they go? in order to get a patent on this
1: development well you've, you've introduced the term patent there i think it's always a wise idea to uh, have one's ideas protected by patents because the world is full of unscrupulous people uh, i would say i've never had a patent in my life but um, i've had many copyrights but not patents uh, i expect a, a patent lawyer would be the first person to see about that well, apart from that uh, i would I would certainly contact some people in NASA uh, in Washington say that you have or have this thing and they undoubtedly would be interested now they're basically a very honest group, and i don't think they would steal your idea okay, thank you, sir Thank call. you very much hello you're on the radio you're on w j r with Dr. J allen Heineck yes uh, about uh, three years ago
4: at a air for- uh, at an air force installation on the east coast uh, there appeared three, uh, ad- ad- unidentified flying objects over the ocean. Now, the, uh, Air Force security people, the base commander, all the people on the Air Force base, the people in the surrounding towns, uh, saw these objects. Uh, a frantic call was made to an Air Force base for fighter in- in- investigation. Uh, the, uh, people at the fighter base said, uh, Don't worry about it. They watched these uh, UFOs for about two hours. There were three of them. Uh, They didn't know the size of them or the uh, distance that they were were away because they were over water and they had nothing to judge them by. Mm -hmm. They stayed there approximately two hours and then took off. Now, they took off at a speed that must have been about five to ten times the speed of a rocket taking off. Now, have you heard about
1: that, and can you explain it? Uh, well, first of all, I certainly couldn't explain it, other than calling it a UFO, and, then, and let's always remember that the U in UFO simply means unidentified. Right. Uh, now, I had not heard, I, we may have, we have in our computerized data bank some 60,000 reports, and we can get printouts of that, any, if you, for instance, wanted to know uh, what cases there were in your own neighborhood, or in the, your county, or something of the sort, or your state, we can have a printout of that. But uh, I don't have the computer banked with me here, so I don't know that <clears throat> that particular case. <clears throat> you know, one thing we forgot, uh, JP, is um, we forgot in talking about the UFO reporter, we forgot to give the address to where people might get it. And I'd be delighted to do that. I'm sure you just want to ask me. Where one can get it. I was I was going to give it for you, but I don't see it on here. Oh, oh, 924 Chicago Avenue. That's right. Or just simply Evanston, Illinois. Is it? It's efficient. We're well enough known there. UFO reporter, Evanston, Illinois, will take no, care uh, of it. Uh, the zip uh, is 60202, however. That's always important. Okay. Uh, I'm, that's, uh, I, uh, let me add this. Now that is, uh, it's going to cost you a dollar uh, a copy. It's a monthly, yes. It's a $12 a year, a dollar copy. Okay. Less than a drink. Okay. Wait, sir, let me ask <laughs> you this, and we've got a, I want to get on to the weather, and then we'll get back on the telephone with some folks. Oh, did you, did you witness we, these? Hello? Yeah, we we'll no, still have our... Uh, hell, yes, uh, did did uh, you see these? No,
4: sir. Uh, I did not personally see these, but I was informed by very reliable sources,
1: people. Okay. Uh, we, uh, we, and we had hoped this morning to get some uh, some direct, first-hand reports. Of- yeah, and I think that's one thing we want to tell the listeners, <clears throat> that it's their scientific duty to report things that they feel were really truly puzzling because we have very good evidence at the Center for UFO Studies that nine out of ten people who have had a UFO experience have failed to report it simply because they feared ridicule. Right. Ridicule is a very real thing. It certainly is. (laughs) Sir thank you for calling. Thank you very much. Okay we'll be on the telephone in just a couple of seconds. We would like to, uh, believe me, if you have feared ridicule and you think you've seen something that frightened you or startled you that you couldn't explain and you didn't tell anyone about it, the anonymity of the telephone And the radio is yours. That's not an easy word to say at this hour. (laughs) It happens to be 17 before 8 on WJR with Dr. Heine.
5: Yes, I called to say that I think I'm one of the 9 out of 10 who never reported a sighting. Um, It occurred about 10.30 at night on a cold, windy, rainy spring night about a year ago. And uh, I was proceeding on a highway and saw a huge red light up ahead and uh, my first thought was that this was possibly the uh, top light of a new antenna, or, you know, tower that they had put an obstruction light on. It was huge. And as I proceeded north on the highway and the light came toward me, I could see that it was not one light, but two lights, which had merged as one at a distance. And... Um, between the two lights were possibly a faint green light and then just maybe a hazy gray light on each side of the green light in the center and then of course the two red lights on the outer side which were huge by the way and then two like spotlights which were crisscrossing on each side of the red light.
1: Wow that what a vivid description that is. Well, I'm glad you're reporting it. Now, you, de- you do demonstrate one thing, which I've long ago called the escalation of hypothesis. There are, uh, when people do finally report, <coughs> they will say, at first I thought it was uh, an accident on the road and that the light was a flasher beacon. And then I <coughs> realized it wasn't that, and then I thought it was maybe an aircraft coming in and so forth. People <coughs> try to explain it to them to themselves first, mm-hmm. and then they've sort of driven up to the wall, and they realize that they can't explain it. Now, uh how did, how long did this whole thing last i'd like to ask you
5: okay I, uh, let me put it this way i turned off i-75 onto a highway going directly north and south my home being exactly four miles away and i proceeded probably half a mile when i saw the red light now it's a little hilly in this area and i saw the red light when i finally traveled maybe another mile and a half which would be two miles away from my home i got a very good look at <clears> but of course it was dark, about 10.30 at night, it was blowing, raining, you know, type of evening, and I got a good look at it, put it approximately at two crossroads, and um, I lost my train of
1: thought. Well, I tell you what, uh, I would very much like to have you and any other listener, who is one of the nine out of ten, to write it up and report it, send it in to the Center for UFO Studies in Evanston, Illinois, and we operate li- as a clinic, you might say. We never divulge the names of people who report to us so that your report is treated uh, completely confidentially. Uh, we release your name only with your permission, so you don't have to worry about that.
5: Okay, Dr. Heineck, one of the uh, claims made when I, when I told what I had seen to friends was that this was an advertising plane, and, of course, this seemed ridiculous to me at 10.30 in the evening a rainy, blowing night that an advertising plane
1: would be out. Well, 10.30 in the evening wouldn't be bad, but the, the rainy, blowing night, uh, and also they don't fly. That How low were the clouds, do you imagine?
5: No, that I can't tell you. Now, there was no fog, but of course, uh, obviously, you no know, stars are visible. There's nothing in the sky, and the red lights are so huge, I have looked constantly every night I go out to see if there's a plane <coughs> with red lights
1: mm-hmm.
4: as
5: large as this. It would be almost like a stop of, uh, light up in the sky, and... Um, I, I lost my train of thought. When and you how, how, did, it. How,
3: how did it disappear?
5: Well, oh, okay, then at that point, I was heading north on the highway to go home, and I continued the two miles and ran in the house, got a pair of binoculars, jumped back in the car, and went back down the road, but it was gone.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And of course, as I said, my first thought that it was the light on top of a, the obstruction light on top of a new tower, but uh, having lived in the area for 10 years, I've since looked, and obviously there's no uh, tower there.
1: How close do you think, uh, I know uh, judging distances at night is very difficult, but how close do you think it may have come to you?
5: Okay, uh, I pinpointed the a spot where i got a good look at it at approximately like a quarter of a mile away or at least at where the two roads crossed a quarter of a mile away well
1: that doesn't make it a close encounter but it makes it uh, a good nocturnal light <laughs> okay
5: but you want uh, on the basis of the skimpy information i've given you it doesn't strike you as an advertising plane
1: does it no not from what you've said and and the weather seems to argue against that, against
5: that. but the only thing was that i could see no form because it was so dark All I could see were these huge lights with the two spotlights crisscrossing at the outer end of the Uh, red light.
1: I don't suppose you lowered the window and listened, did you?
5: No, I didn't, because it was raining and blowing Mm. hard.
1: Yeah, well, uh, please do... Send that report into the Center for UFO Studies in Evanston, Illinois, six zero two zero two. Now there's
5: uh, another one. If you have the time, which can, is very can, short. Can, can you hang
1: on for just a half yes, a I second? Okay, I've got to take care of a little business here, and we'll be back on the telephone. We want to give some of the other folks who've been hanging on a chance too. Okay? Would you mind calling us back a little later? No problem. Thank you. Ohio. I don't. I think you do want the cloak of anonymity, so just go ahead and tell Dr. Heinicke your story.
2: I don't mind giving the location. This was on. October the second, nineteen seventy-three. I'm reading some notes that I'd written down a couple, three years ago. It was at ten fifteen p.m., and it was about five miles north of Route two seventy on Route twenty-three in central Ohio. Now I commute this route for like nine years,
1: and uh, so it was it was easy to spot something out of the ordinary. And there was a uh, I have written here an oval white with a reddish-green glow to the left of the road. It was about a quarter of a mile off the road, uh, probably uh, 100 to 200 feet in the air, so it wasn't very far up. It was a bright night, so you could see the shape of it against the sky. It was probably about a 20-degree ellipse shape. Uh, I've written that it was probably about 40 feet across, 30 to 40 feet across. I got pretty excited at the time. So I didn't stop. But I did have the phenomenon, I guess you'd call it, of having my automobile uh, quit running properly. Uh, The lights dimmed and the motor began to miss like when it's running out of gas for just a few moments and then it started running again fine. And I pulled in the State Highway Patrol
2: and I got a patrolman out and we both looked at it and I asked him if it was something that he knew about and he said only from phone calls coming in. And
1: I couldn't really understand why anything like that would be around Ohio, except that it occurred to me that this is Perkins Observatory, one of the big radio telescopes is, would have been less than a half mile from it. Well, um, big pardon? I, I used to work at Perkins Observatory for many years. And you know I that know that, the location. area I know the area very well. Yeah, it was right on the hill they call Kingman Hill. Oh yes, I know that yeah. well. It was just I'd say 300 yards to the left of the road, and not very high up. Well now, uh, I definitely want you to send this report in to me at the Center for UFO Studies in, not as Joe said, Chicago, but Evanston, yeah. Illinois, and the zip is 60202. Okay. And uh, your name will not be used without your permission, so don't worry about that.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, this is a very interesting case, what is your technical background, if I, if I may ask?
2: I'm not a technician. I'm a I'm a commercial artist.
1: Oh well. Hey, you could draw this thing for us, couldn't you? How about a good sketch? I could do that. That'd be great. I'd like that. Um, you know, your your experience sounds an awful lot like one of the episodes from the movie Close Encounters. doesn't it, Doctor Honey. Yes, it does. Except that was. Uh, moving much more. His, uh, this, made, this made no movement, it just stayed stationary in the sky like you'd be looking at a big, the lady described like a big tower, uh, but there was nothing supporting it. Well did it seem to be solid or was it a, uh, just a light? It seemed to be solid, you know, but it had an undulating glow to it. Uh, that's the only good word I can uh-huh. describe. Uh, I thought at the beginning it was a helicopter with blinking lights, but when you got close enough you could see that they weren't blinking lights. They
2: were undulating, glowing areas of light, like, mm-hmm. uh, not defined, sort of moving. And then it, it just disappeared. You know, it didn't make any movement. It didn't go off quickly or anything. It just simply wasn't there any longer.
1: Oh, no, uh, you said the policeman uh, also saw it?
2: Yes, I have no way of knowing his name, but I did report it to the state patrol in, uh, in uh, Ohio. Burlington. Mm-hmm. It was the Delaware office. Well, the Delaware they were taking office, huh? reports then and writing them down. At least they told me they were.
1: Yeah. And uh, they they were getting other calls about it today? At the same time, yeah. When I, but
2: I walked into the station because I happened to be right there.
1: No, I used to live in Delaware for years, so I know the area.
2: I see. Well, I had written down two or three others that I'll write down and send to you. I have a tape because I switched my tape recorder on the car. Well,
1: that's very good.
2: And I couldn't locate it this morning because I really am not sure where I put it. Um, I'd like to hear it again myself.
1: <laughs> well, please do send me a copy of that, too, would you? Okay, I'll be glad to. Now, the the, the address again for both for you and, and our other listeners, and those who want to subscribe to the International UFO Reporter, is the it's uh, the Center for UFO Studies, Evanston, E-V-A-N-S-T-O-N, Evanston, Illinois, 60202. 60202. Right. Thank you very much for calling. Thank you. It's nice of you to do that. Right. From Delaware, Ohio. That qualifies as a genuine close encounter. I would say so, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hang on for a second. We'll take more calls with Dr. J. Allen Hynek on our UFO close encounter morning here on WJR Detroit. You know, an awful lot of people are coming out of the closet these days. I don't know whether it's because of the effect of the movie. A lot of people have seen close encounters of the third kind. Uh, uh, The box office reports uh, indicate that it will be one of the best seen, most seen movies in history. Uh, But there was a surprise about that. Uh, Dr. Heineck, explain something that you thought might happen as a result of the success of the movie that hasn't. Well, I thought, and so so did many others, that, you know, people who had never bothered looking up at the sky before would uh, look up after having seen that picture, and they would make the same sort of mistakes that had been made by thousands of people. They would mistake Jupiter and Venus and meteors and satellites and God knows what. But that has not been happening, oddly enough. What has been happening is that the picture has apparently given people courage to report things that they were reluctant to report before, and cases uh, that are several years old are coming out of the closet, so to speak. Do you welcome that kind of news, or is old news just so difficult to follow up on that it's hardly worthwhile? Oh, no, those are those are, those are are the ones we really want, because the current ones are apt to be mistakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, something that happened to a person five years ago, and they've remembered it vividly, is as apt to be a genuine case. Okay. Uh, In Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, that rather famous case where two fishermen uh, supposedly went under hypnotic regression and uh, talked about an experience with a a visitor, a spaceship or something. Tell us that story and (coughs) tell us what you think about it. Well, uh, that was a case that I, I investigated. I was there within 48 hours after it happened. What did they say happened? Well, the two men were Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker, and what they said happened is that they were fishing on the banks of the Pascagoula River, and this, I'll make a, a short story, this craft came down but did not land, as hovered behind them, and two very, very odd-looking creatures floated down, lifted and floated Charlie Hickson back aboard, and he told us that an instrument that looked something like a big eye passed over him several times as though giving him a medical examination. Now, when i got down there i found those men definitely in a state of shock they there's no question in my mind that they think this happened that is to them it was a very real experience whether it was real in the our sense of real i honestly don't know but what is real philosophers have been worrying about that for centuries to them it was real and um they they could not undergo hypnosis the, dr harder tried to hypnotize charlie hickson but uh, he resisted it and uh, got uh, terribly, terribly upset. So whether I'm not sure what that means, but um, if this were the only case like that, I would dismiss it out of hand. For we have dozens of cases similar to that. Matter of fact, uh, what is not known, and maybe even you don't know, Joe, that uh, that case hit the press. But. Within a few weeks, on either side of that famous case on October eleventh, nineteen 1973, there were 70 other cases of close encounters of the third kind which were not reported to the press. And at the Center for UFO Studies, we've just published a, uh, a report on that called 1973, Year of the Humanoids. And that's also obtainable at the Center for UFO Studies. Now, the, uh, the, the humanoids, these uh, creatures that these... People uh, say they uh, say they saw it. Do they look anything like the uh, uh, the creatures as depicted in Close Encounters, the movie? Oh, absolutely! In fact, that's uh, where you got it from. That's where Steve Spielberg got it from. He, when I uh, became technical advisor to Close Encounters the Third Kind, at first I was not going to have anything to do with a Hollywood movie because I felt that would really ruin my scientific credibility. But um, when I discovered that Spielberg had really done his homework very well and had uh, was very knowledgeable, uh, he'd based the uh, appearance of the creatures pretty much on actual UFO reports, yeah, fascinating well they looked uh, they almost looked like an embryo uh yeah, well, actually, I would tend to describe them more in general as uh, uh, overgrown goblins, mm-hmm. generally large head, spindly bodies, and uh i I'm not making this up this is what's reported, you see. Yes. And uh, I'm acting here largely just as a reporter, telling you what, what people tell me. You were a great disbeliever. I want to talk about that and how much you've changed. If I may, <laughs> Dr. Heineck, in a minute here. Uh, it was his doing. He decided it was Marsh gas. I want to find out about that in just a second. There were sightings of something, UFO sightings uh, in the Ann Arbor area, also in Dexter and, in, in Dexter, in, as I recall, mm, and in Hillsdale. In. Mm-hmm. And uh, you came in. You were a great debunker in those days. You were, you headed the investigation team for the Air Force. Am I right coming in to have a look? I was their consultant. Well, I I headed the investigation, that immediate one, yes. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. And you determined it was marsh gas. How did you make that determination? Oh boy. Well, the point is that at the press conference, which they tell me was the largest in the history of the Detroit Press Club at that time, uh, I had said, and I have it on record, that if we limited our attention to the faint lights that the girls at Hillsdale had seen, in the swampy area, the Arboretum, that those could be explained as swamp gas, but what happened is that the reporters apparently needed a buzzword, and swamp gas was it. And as soon as I mentioned that, they underlined it in their press release and dashed off to the telephones, and I couldn't say, hold on, boys, that's not the whole story. Uh, Swamp gas was it, and uh, I believed it. And as a matter of fact, the faint light still could have been explained as swamp gas, but not the, not the major sightings, not the large things that were reported. Okay. Uh, uh, did the Air Force ever tell you, look, Dr. Heinek, we don't want to cause any panic. Explain this away as natural phenomena. Well, did they I... say that to you? Either directly or d- by insinuation? By insinuation, yes, but not directly. They, they never gave me any specific orders, but it was quite clear that they uh, wanted me to do the best i could to explain it as a natural thing yeah and i tried but today i would do it quite differently today i would say look let's you we can't conduct a scientific investigation in this excitable atmosphere with reporters buzzing around and, and you couldn't get a halfway thought in edgewise and um so i would say we'd have to gather, gather the data study it carefully and come out with some sort of a uh, at least preliminary Idea in a few days or a week, but not on the spur of the moment mm-hmm. How many books have you written on the subject of UFOs? Well, the first one was the UFO experience, which is the in, in which I coined the phrase close encounter the third kind Yeah, and then this uh, most recent one the Heineck UFO report. I did have another one with um, jointly with Jacques Vallée called the edge of reality mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but the Heineck UFO report even though the title is not a very modest one that was the publisher's idea by the way uh is an exposé really of the air force handling because I was there for those many years and I saw the uh, way in which the air force the cavalier way in which the air force handled this whole problem did they just out of hand uh, cover it up just uh, without any investigation at all no they would make uh, investigations and as I point out in the book the more certain they were that it was a natural thing, the more they would investigate. They they went out, and they would read from uh, anything that comes in from the air. And it's a little difficult, a little um, face losing to say, look, there's something in our atmosphere that we don't understand. It's much easier to say, well, it's it's uh, we do understand. It's perfectly natural. It's uh, swamp gas. It's. Uh, uh, aircraft and so forth. Was this in a directive from some power on high, the Secretary of the Air Force, or the President of the United States, or was this... Uh, do, do you think that this responsibility was assumed by some generals? Well, the Project Blue Book and the director of the people who ran it had a job to do, and they were acting pretty much under the directive or direct recommendation of the CIA uh, convened Robertson panel, which uh, the the uh, air for the CIA was not afraid of UFOs. They were afraid of UFO reports and the things that you, the reports might do to people. Um, at that time, this whole question of subversion was much more in the air than it is today, and they were afraid that the various UFO flying saucer clubs and organizations might be used as fronts for subversive activity. Also, another thing that was very important, in July of 1952, for several days, the military wires became literally clogged with UFO reports, and the CIA was afraid that if some nation wanted to launch another Pearl Harbor, all they need to do would be to get their agents to spawn a whole bunch of false UFO reports, clog the military wires, and confuse the situation. So they... The CIA was quite seriously concerned, not so much with UFOs, but with UFO reports, motivated uh, with good reason to debunk them. Oh yes, yes, and their directive or their recommendation, I should say, was a very strong one: that the Air Force do everything in its power to debunk, play down, uh, hold the fort, sort of thing. And you were part of that debunking. I was part of that. Yeah. Have you ever seen a flying saucer? I've never had a close encounter, but on two occasions I have seen things which I definitely could not explain and have not been able to explain to this day. As an and astronomy professor, it's unlikely that they were celestial bodies. Ah, that—that's well, very true. I mean, that's one thing I do believe I'm competent to identify. Although it's surprising how many people are not—that is, people are still puzzled very much by a very bright meteor even trained pilots where we had cases in which uh, commercial pilots have swerved their airplanes thinking that they were on a head-on collision course with something that turned out to be a very bright meteor 100 miles away or so and we're going to get on the telephone again and encourage folks if they would like to talk to dr heinick that we would like to talk to people who have had uh, to use his coined phrase close encounters and uh, we will offer you anonymity on the telephone our number is eight seven five four four seven six several people on the line
5: have you had a close encounter
6: yes I have I have some photographs that I took in 1974 of a UFO and I've never known what agency to get in contact with that might be interested in them
1: well you've got one now okay. and uh, I'm very anxious to see the photographs uh, please do send them but don't send the original negatives I don't want to be responsible for those but um, hang on to those but let me see the prints and in if we want to then investigate them further, then I would make arrangements, special arrangements, to see the original negatives. Okay, now where shall I send them? Uh, to the Center for UFO Studies, 924 Chicago Avenue, Evanston, Illinois. And that's the zip is 60202, 60202. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes, we're on the uh, radio here on WJR. Dr. Heineck is listening to you. Go ahead. Thank
3: you. Uh, Dr. Heineck. I have, uh, was in high school in 47 when this phenomenon first started, and I read on it ever since. I've been to things, I've lectured on it, and what have you. Uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. I realize there are other people on the line, so I'll get off as quickly as possible. I want to ask you about the flap in Washington, D.C. in 1952, when for six hours they, these things were over the Pentagon and it gave them a fit down there. I want to ask you about the possibility that in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio that they do have, I've heard, the remains of an occupant of a UFO. I want to talk about the pictures that we don't have that the Air Force probably does have when they were asked to put cameras in the nose of their jets when they chased these things and they couldn't catch them, at least they could take pictures of them. Could you comment on any of these things?
1: Yeah, very quickly on all of them. Uh, The 1952 flap has never been adequately explained. They've tried to call it uh, atmospheric inversion, but the inversion was not very strong at that time. And uh, uh, so it is still unexplained. As far as the uh, remains or cadavers of UFO occupants at Wright Field, I think that is just a story. Uh, We've never had any... I've never found any evidence that that was true, and, of course, if any one of our listeners has that information uh, that could be authenticated, I would be delighted to know about it. See, that story had great currency a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it pops up every once in a while. Now, as far as the Air Force photographs, I, too, have heard that... uh, I've been told by military pilots that uh, uh, when they got back to base, their gun camera photos were confiscated and so forth. But whenever I ask these people to uh, go to an old public and and swear out an affidavit that this is true, uh, they say, "Well, they're member the reserves, or they they can't. They're under oath or something of the sort." So, th- as far as I'm concerned, those still remain stories. I un- unauthenticated, undocumented stories. Tell I me mean, this.
3: Uh, they had an uh, Air Force uh, re- uh, report, uh, AR-200-2, which said that uh, Air Force pilots who had seen anything and they had talked to anyone, they didn't maintain secrecy. They would be subject to 10 years in prison or a fine or $10,000.
1: You heard about that? Oh, heavens, yes. That was in JNAP-146E, uh, uh, which is still in effect. It is so that a military pilot must report any unidentified thing. Of course, their definition of unidentified is very, very broad. A a new Russian aircraft would be considered unidentified. <laughs> yeah. uh, they must report, and it is quite true, they're still under a um, uh, considerable threat of a fine if they... Say they're allowed to talk about it if it is identified they are not allowed to talk about it as long as it remains unidentified.
2: Mm.
3: I want to point out that the movie was just tremendous from one who has been reading for years on this. Uh, I didn't see it as science fiction. It did such a good job on depicting situations that I had read about for years. One last question, sir. The, it seems to me that these things appear so often that their appearances can almost be predictable.
1: Would you say that's so? Well, we're trying. We are for, we're running uh, computer studies now on this and it appears that possibly we'll be able to predict waves of UFO sightings in the future, but it's still too early to say.
3: There is certainly an unusual uh, uh, interest in our nuclear installations, aren't there, by these things?
1: Yeah, now that may, uh, that may have a perfectly natural explanation. Uh, the military installations, the nuclear ex- uh, installations especially, of course, have 24-hour guards, and they're out there watching, and they would be um, more apt to see something uh, if, when, when it happens. Of course, another explanation is that they're under surveillance, but I don't know. Doctor, what are your thoughts as to if indeed these things are extraterrestrially directed? Uh, why don't they land, make themselves known? Well, that's one of the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the situation. They don't. Uh, why? Aren't... Well, I suppose I could turn the question around and say, why should they? I, I don't know. It's uh, uh, you might just as well ask, why do kangaroos jump? Uh, they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, see the. The hardest thing to get across in this whole field is that this is a research problem. We have lots of questions and very few answers. Uh, I might turn around and ask you, why don't we have the cure for cancer yet? We've been studying it for a long while. Uh, things but if like so that. many people see these things, it just it just makes logical sense to say, well, they apparently mean no harm because, so far as we know, they have caused none, or at least very little. They are obviously curious, or they wouldn't be uh, 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 keeping us under surveillance or having a look. Why don't they land and make themselves known? That's that's a great question. Yeah. I wish I knew the answer. Hang <laughs> on for a second, Doctor Doctor J Allen Hynek, with us. It's almost 8:45 on a snowy Friday morning in Detroit warming you up with talk of you that Matt wanted to know about dr. Haney. well that's a very good example of a close encounter of the first kind it was very close but nothing really happened a uh, young Navy man was walking home from his girlfriends in uh, near Exeter New Hampshire when this brilliantly illuminated object uh, flashing lights and so forth swooped down on him and he swooped into the ditch and to get away he was panic-stricken he it then receded he dashed to the nearest farmhouse pounded on the door woke the people they called the police the police came out and there was nothing but just as the police were about to leave the object rose from behind the trees and both policemen saw it without any question and their life was made miserable for them by the air force which refused to believe that anything they had said and in my books matter of fact i have an account an exchange of those letters that went between the two policemen and the air force and it was really reprehensible the manner in which the air force tried to smear the reputation of these policemen uh calling them essentially uh, deluded and uh, so forth uh why would why would the air force again go to such great lengths to suppress all of this they were just uh under the idea they adopted the theorem you might say that it can't be therefore it isn't just simply assumed that These things had to be natural, as I assumed at one time, that obviously it had to be a lot of nonsense. Well, you never went into reputation-destroying, however. No, that is true. I would never do that. You know, getting uh, UFO information, uh, first of all, reporting it is a problem. Uh, One has to make an emotional decision, an intellectual decision, actually, whether they want to get involved or not, and as you point out, 9 out of 10 uh, decide they do not for fear of ridicule and other reasons, too. In order to get some good F- UFO information, do you, what do you recommend? A subscription, of course, I guess, to your Well, yes, I think, uh, uh, but let, let, let me back up on that a little bit. Uh, even before the picture Close Encounters of the Third Kind became so popular, we'd been getting at the Center for UFO Studies many, many requests from uh, students from various parts of the country saying that they were doing a term paper on UFOs or that they having class discussion, and just now with the picture, I can imagine that in the next few months, classrooms all over the country are going to be having UFO discussions, mm-hmm. and I think it is really bad that those kids have to turn to the tabloid press and to the sleazy magazines and newsstands for their information. They ought to be able to get, especially school libraries, ought to have access to uh, responsible information, and that can be obtained through the international ufo reporter which is a monthly Mm -hmm. newsletter uh, which i edit and which therefore i stand back of anything that's in it Mm -hmm. uh each month for instance we publish a map of all the cases Mm -hmm. that have been reported to us those that we can explain we plot as dots those that we can't explain we plot as stars and um, the interesting ones are um summarized in the in the UFO reporter, and mm-hmm. uh, the subscription for that is $12 a year, dollar a month, and it is obtainable at the offices of the Center for UFO Studies at 924 Chicago Avenue, Evanston, Illinois, 60202, or, as a matter of fact, just simply the Center for UFO Studies, Evanston, Illinois, 60202 would, would suffice. Okay, how many people do you have at the uh, Center for UFO Studies working? Oh, about 20, but most of them are volunteers okay. because the uh, uh, center is funded entirely by contribution, popular contributions, voluntary contributions, which, by the way, I want to hasten to point out, are tax-deductible. This is not a UFO club or a. it is not supported by the government. Incidentally, if we're being monitored right now by anybody up there in any kind of a vehicle, extraterrestrial or otherwise, and you feel like you would like to contact us, please do. I call Collect. <laughs> Area code 313-875-4440. Okay, you're on the air with the...
7: About ten years ago, I was driving from Ann Arbor to Jackson at dusk, and I saw a bright light from a distance, and I thought it was a barn fire because it was out in the country. And as I got closer, I realized that it wasn't, but I still obviously thought of other things that it could be. And it was... Important enough that all the traffic was stopped on I-94 and pulled off on the side of the road. Well, I was in a convertible, and I was also late for a play I was going to, so I kept going, and I was also frightened, and so I kept going. And But it has bothered me enough for 10 years that I've tried to duplicate it in my, tried to see something that would be similar, and I never could. And at that time, I did call the sheriff's office, and he said, we don't want any reports. And we don't want to hear anything about it. And, and go, nothing happened. Go away and, never and it was your imagination. And I said, the traffic was stopped. There must have been 60 or 70 cars stopped. And he said, lady, you didn't see it. You know, you were really dreaming. But it was um, like a theater marquee. In, I mean, the only thing I could, in my mind, think that it was like a theater marquee, but about a three-story high building. And it was large, but the lights were blinking in random fashion. And beneath it, I thought that it was trying to repair a radio antenna or something because there was this long thing with red lights on it, like a radio antenna.
1: Now, was it stationary or was it moving?
7: It was just hovering, and there was no sound at all. And it was about 60 acres away. It was across the field, and in between there was a fence. And it was, I don't think there was any noise, but my car was going. But it, it certainly wasn't. Noise like you would think to support something that big in the air.
1: Are you any good at sketching things? I'm
7: not, but I am a trained observer. I have directed and produced television, as a matter of uh-uh. fact, so I'm quite aware of visual apparatus.
1: I was wondering if you could sketch me or give, a, give me a, um, a a verbal description, a written description, that is. And
7: I will send it to you, but I wondered if anybody else had ever talked
1: about it. Well, it could Peter be Mark since he that left. many cars were stopped. It, 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 it's possible that somebody listening to us right now is one of those people. That's that was, right.
7: And it was never in the paper, and it was never reported, but I did go back to school. I was teaching at that time, and I did go back to school, and I said to one of the teachers, I have, you know, something very funny has happened to me, and I have to share it with somebody. I've taken my children out and tried to find this place, and there's no radio antenna. Now that, you know, it just doesn't disappear overnight. Right. And... We'd, I just wanted some sort of physical evidence that something had been there. So I said to the teacher, "I'm going to say something to you, but I don't want you to tell anybody." And, and she said that she and her husband, also another teacher, had experienced something similar at a uh, children's camp in Maine. Something had come down to the hill while the children were on the hill. So I think it's. I think there are a lot of people around that have had experiences, and a lot of very educated people, but. Because I didn't want to lose my job, and they didn't want to
1: lose their job. Well, I think you've raised a very, very important point there, and uh, the the movie now is making it more socially acceptable to talk about UFOs. UFOs are no longer a dirty word. And uh, uh, we are now getting cases at the center which are old, five to ten years old, that people have been reluctant to report. And I would like to point out to our listeners that I feel it is their scientific duty to report such cases because how can we ever solve this problem if we don't have proper data to work with? Okay, thank you very much hey for calling. Hey. All right, Dr. Heineck, thank you. We're, we're going to take a 15-minute break here. And if you are an, a ranking skeptic. Uh-huh. You fact, were a ranking skeptic. I certainly was. The, the fact remains that UFO reports exist. They continue to come in from all over the world, and from many of them are, come from very responsible persons. So you, 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 the, these are the facts that you can't controvert. Have, uh, uh, have I been misled or misinformed uh, in, uh, in thinking that there have been more UFO reports in the United States than in other foreign countries? Uh, we have a great many, of course, simply because communication is so good. But Canada, for instance, there are more UFO sightings per capita in Canada than there are in the United States. What about some of the Western European countries? Well, we have reports now from well over a hundred different countries, but reporting and communications are sometimes difficult. The language difficulties, for one thing, governmental difficulties in others, it's difficult to get um, reports from the Iron, Con- uh, Iron Curtain countries, for instance, although we do. They, they, they have the same sorts of things there that we have here. Okay. Same sorts of reports. Uh, Dr. Haneck, look, I want to see a UFO. I've never seen one. I've never even seen any bright lights, to be absolutely honest with you, that I couldn't uh, uh, figure out almost instantly uh, and describe uh, as natural phenomena. Well, you're in good company. Our estimates is that only one out of every 40 or so people actually ever have a UFO experience. Suppose when the snow finally does stop and the weather clears up and it's a clear night and I'm driving home or I'm sitting in my backyard and I suddenly see one of these things, what do I do? the very first thing you should do is get witnesses for, for your own protection because then you can say, well, look, he saw it too or she saw it too. But from the scientific standpoint, it's extremely important to have witnesses because then when we go to investigate it, we can get the accounts of the individuals separately. And that's what we always do. We never get them together. We interrogate people independently. and. Uh, then but you see, I, I'm going to be very reluctant to uh, to call any uh the police, for example, to call uh, officials because uh, I would be subject to great ridicule, and I would like to avoid that. Well, after you get your witnesses, have your you and have them separately write a simple narrative account of what happened. Just just very simple things and the, the time, the duration, and then send it to the Center for UFO Studies in Evanston, Illinois. Send the zip is six zero two zero two and there you're you have no fear of ridicule whatsoever because we operate something like a medical clinic uh the medical clinic doesn't give the names of its patients out and things of that sort neither do we uh names are not used except without uh, they're not used except when we have permission to do it okay so what you're saying is you don't necessarily have to report this to anyone in officialdom that's right okay Uh, Send it to you, and you act as a clearinghouse for all these things. How how can you possibly examine, you and 20 people, all the thousands and thousands of uh, narratives that you must get, and inquiries? Well, it isn't difficult to to weed out the uh, typical cases of sightings of meteors, airplanes, advertising planes... Uh, balloons, satellites, they fit a pattern, and you can almost spot them almost immediately. Any trained investigator can spot those. We home in on the cases that are really and truly puzzling, and we spend a lot of time investigating those. I'd like to, I'd sure like to see one, Dr. Heinrich. So would you, wouldn't you? So would I. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to uh, some people, some more people who have had close encounters on the telephone in just a minute. Oh. Uh, can you hear me, sir? Hello. Yes. Yes, good morning. How are you? fine, how are you? thought you nodded off for a minute. Yeah. What can we do for
8: you? Well, by golly, I'd like to, uh, first of all, the only encounter I had was a very humorous one, which wasn't an encounter. I was driving along when I was 12 years old with my dad coming back from the doctor, and here was this at dusk, or just after dusk, here was this undulating object off in the distance, just hovering. And my dad pulled the car off the road, and he thought this was preposterous, you know. In fact, he was frightened. As a
4: As we stood there, sat in the car, and watched this thing, uh, my dad was
8: never shaken in his life by anything except this. And then the thing turned around, and there was a beer advertisement. It was a blimp. That led me off, though, at 12 years old, to follow up reports. And as I was 17 or 18, I followed up the reports and went to UFO society meetings and pseudo-religious meetings and this type of thing. A few years ago, in fact a year ago, I ran across a fellow who worked for the government, a fellow I know very, very well and very credible. The last person in the world that would come up with this, really. And he said that the when we were orbiting spacemen that they were buzzed by UFOs. Is there any truth in this?
1: Well, I've never been able to authenticate that. I have spoken to three astronauts who have had UFO sightings um, Gordon Cooper, uh, Jim McDivitt, and um, Deke Slayton. Mm-hmm. Uh, only McDivitt uh, had his sighting in the in space. The other two were here on solid land. Well, Deke Slayton was in an aircraft. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to call those people deluded or um, liars, yeah. uh, but as far as anything seen on the way to the moon, no one has ever confessed that to me at any rate. I see. I, I was referring
4: to in orbit around the Earth.
1: Well, that would have been Jim McDivitt, and um, there have been other reports, but I won't believe them. I don't accept them unless I've talked to the person uh, personally and uh, uh, have, in one way or another, authenticated it.
8: Okay, and, and, and this was a hobby with me. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a real skeptic, a real agnostic uh, when it comes to this. Back in about 1957 or so, about the time Sputnik went up, I was on the mailing list for one of the societies. And I thought
3: this was great fun, and I could see nothing based in fact. Years later,
4: I
8: went through all these things before I threw them out, all these tracts and pamphlets and alleged proofs. Do you know what year the Van Allen belts were discovered?
1: Well, let's see. it must have been well in the early early satellites, so that must have been about fifty eight or fifty nine. Okay, I remember
8: uh, looking at one of these pictures of the Earth that the society society sent me, and personally, I thought they were a bunch of crackpots. But uh, here was this beautiful line drawing of Van Allen belts, and that's about the only thing credible I ever came up with uh, that that I would have on paper as far as that there were beings visiting us, but. The rest of it made no sense
1: whatsoever. Okay. Thank well, you, much. Very- a, you're, well, you're a, I, I think it's always important to have intelligent skeptics in this right. whole thing. After all, you were one for a great many years, and you still are. You're skeptical. Oh, basically, uh- I, I don't accept uh, more than one hundredth of stuff I hear. Okay. It's a real pleasure talking to you, Doctor. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Right. I know. Hello? Oh, hello. Yes.
6: I didn't
1: realize it was my turn. It's your turn.
6: I would like to tell Dr. Heineck about some information. Um... This happened out in Colorado between 1949 and 1952. I was living out there, Mm
2: -hmm. and
6: my father's cousin, who was an Air Force officer at that time, was transferred to Lowry Air Force Base in Denver. Uh, One weekend, he and his family came to visit us out in Northeastern Colorado, and uh, UFOs came up in the conversation. And I told my dad's cousin about a recent article in a monthly magazine named either Pageant or Coronet that went into great detail about the inside and the outside of the UFO and its occupants. And uh, the UFO had been found, as I remember, out in Arizona, and it had crashed. And my dad's cousin looked absolutely stunned. And uh, he said that since all of this had appeared in a national magazine, he felt that he could say why he had been sent to Larry Air Force Base. And he and some other officers had been brought out there to a school labeled Top Secret. And they had been learning everything that I had read. And
1: I don't recall whether it was the government or the Air Force that had In fact. Uh, They are reluctant to do so. Uh, what we need, see, this story has cropped up many, many times. If it could be authenticated, it would be a tremendously exciting thing. Uh, Jack Anderson or somebody should uncover it.
5: Right.
1: But um, I am not going to accept it unless I have definite authentication of it. I
6: see. Well, unfortunately, my dad's uh, cousin passed away a couple of years ago, and he had retired from the Air Force. I might mention, I don't know whether it would help or not, uh, I think it was a pageant magazine. I'm not sure. I do know that after the article appeared in the magazine, it was never seen on the newsstand again.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I,
1: uh, that's, that's a, a help. But um,
6: but you really need, if you could get an Air Force officer who went to that school, I yes, realize that.
1: Yes, that is really the important thing. you got to have a first-hand report. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you for well, calling. You're welcome, thank you. Oh, bye Yes, we're on the radio with uh, Dr. Hynek here on WJR.
9: Hi. Hello. Um, I'm, we're from Downriver, and we were driving along our little street here. This is about ten years ago, and we see this light from the air shining down on us, and we stopped the car. One of the neighbors was on the sidewalk and we looked up and this was an object that was the light that came down was yellow, of course, like a light, like a beacon. My husband has always said that if um, if they've taken pictures, they've got our picture. This he always said this. He says, Well, they must be photographic and the we watched this it was it was about the height of a of a like where the, the dirgibles will fly, like the Goodyear and this sort of thing and the blips and so we uh, we watched it. It wasn't very long, just maybe like a minute or two. It was like a yellow-green light, and it looked like lights on it, but you, I couldn't tell that part because the light was shining down real bright. And all of a sudden, it flew to the west, and it, it just went... It was just like you couldn't even snap your finger. Uh, it went that rapidly. And when it flew, it left um It was like it left a cone after it, like maybe if that was... I don't know, I always figured like some of these airplanes that are skywriting, but this is this is what we saw and I'm in the down river. It was about ten years ago.
1: Now, did you report that to anybody?
9: No, because at that time too, this you we didn't really hardly even tell our family
2: <laughs> because,
9: uh-huh. uh it was around a time when you know, the papers were debunking it and everyone was debunking so it. So was I. <laughs> and, and so we really didn't tell anyone. This neighbor, um, up the road, we don't really know him at all. But and we never did talk to him about it after that. But, but we saw it, and we we weren't we weren't uh, you know we weren't under the influence of anything. But it just seemed like, and again this morning, my husband says, "Well, you tell me they took her picture," and that's our that was our impression of it.
1: Well, this brings up the very important point that many people. Not only are reluctant to report, but they also tell me they don't know where to report. And uh, uh, the place, certainly one of the places to report, is the Center for UFO Studies in Evanston, Illinois. The zip code is 60202, and the phone number there is area code 312, four
9: nine one one eight seven zero. Now, if if I, I will write this up, of course. I didn't know until this morning there was a place to even write, and I've been listening to you since you come on. In fact, I listened to J.P. when he had it the other time. Good. And these, these things sound fantastic, but from what we saw, I, I know they're not. I know they're really true because we saw this one.
1: Why don't you write it up and send it into the uh, uh, Center for UFO Studies to give the address once again, Dr. Heine. All right, it's the Center for UFO Studies, 924 Chicago Avenue, Evanston, Illinois, 60202, or just the Center for UFO Studies, Evanston, Illinois, is probably sufficient. Their post office knows us pretty well by now. And the zip is 60202.
5: All right, we'll do that. Thanks for
1: calling.
6: Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye.
1: Dr. Hynek, I've witnessed you this morning take several phone calls. You have taken... uh, Reports of UFO sightings from literally thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands of reports. Not that many, but we do have 60,000 reports. Uh, first of all, you must get weary of these. Beca- and secondly, is there a great similarity? Is there, uh, uh, do all these various reports, no matter how strange they might sound, do, do, do any of them have one thing in common that, from which you can draw some conclusions? Well, they're certainly uh, similar. Let's put it this way: that some people say it's all imagination. Well, if it were all imagination, we ought to be able to get, we ought to be getting reports of pink elephants with roller skates, or uh, the Taj Mahal being seen in New Orleans, or, in other words, pure imagination would give us all sorts of reports. We don't. We get a fairly definite pattern of reports and from different cultures from central africa from papua new guinea from brazil from the outback in australia same sorts of things are reported as come from united states and canada let's say where there could have been a relatively small chance for comparison between the people yeah the people in central africa don't read time magazine i don't believe (laughs) you never know What about the saucer shape? The, the shape seems to have changed. Thirty years ago, when they were first reported, they were flying saucers. Well, they still are. You still have the daylight disks. Uh, not as many today, but um, we seem to be getting more and more cases of the close encounters, rather than the distant ones. Um, either they didn't, they were afraid to report close encounters earlier, or they didn't, there weren't as many, but we keep getting reports, especially older ones. Now for instance, the, the, the picture itself is bringing things out of the woodwork. We're getting reports of abduction cases of very close encounters of second and third kinds that people will write to us and tell us this happened in 1965.
2: Well, abduction what? kidnapping.
1: Well, somebody uh, has picked up and flown around in some sort of a spacecraft? No, not flown around, no. Uh, I simply do not buy these cases of where people say they took a trip to Venus in a flying saucer and came back with hair from a uh, Saturnian dog or something of that sort. Mm. Uh, The the, the place is covered with pseudo-religious nuts, and I guess that makes our problem that much harder. But um, the reports of close encounters are coming well, you're talking about abduction the, the 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 typical pattern there the classic case of course is the famous case of Betty and Barney Hill but there are dozens and dozens of others the typical pattern that develop has developed is that for a, sh- a short time the people have in their conscious memory uh, the experience the memory of an exp- ufo experience then amnesia sets in they will tell us that um, They didn't know what happened for maybe an hour or two hours. They may be found farther down the road at the end of that time. And um, then they're again conscious, but uh, they're very puzzled as to what happened in that time lapse. How many of these uh, encounters have been reported? Oh, about 50 so far. Are they all similar? Yeah, they're similar in this. They, They have this conscious period and then the unconscious. And what we've been doing, as far as our funds permit, Is to employ regressive hypnosis Uh, if the experience has been that traumatic you know is well known that the, the conscious mind will block out a traumatic experience and we've been getting some very very interesting accounts from under hypnosis now I haven't the least idea how reliable we can count things that we get when people tell us under hypnosis but nonetheless for what it's worth the stories are remarkably similar they will report that they were given, taken aboard, and given some sort of a medical examination. They're generally rather hazy about it, but good people, good, true, salt-of-the-earth type people, have told us this. And, um, you sound like you believe them. Um, no, I believe that they are sincere you believe they believe what they're yes, telling you. Yes, I believe that. Now, whether that really... Look, I have always point out that Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus had an experience which transformed him into St. Paul, and that certainly affected the human race. But was it a real experience? Undoubtedly, St. Paul thought it was a real experience. Um, You know, Van Donneken and other writers have uh, tried to draw parallels from biblical times and uh, before, as a matter of fact, to the kinds of things that are happening now and indicating that we, the space chariots, etc., that we have been visited before. Do you hold with that? I don't hold with it because uh, simply, well, Van Donneken and the Chariots of the Gods... I cannot respect his scholarship. I mean, I think I've never been able to finish one of his books because it's, it's just nauseating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be right, uh, and certainly he stirred people's imaginations, but um, there's no... Uh, the evidence that he tries to bring forth is mostly supposition and ad hoc stuff. Very flimsy conclusions. Very flimsy conclusions, I would say. Glad to see that you're still somewhat of a skeptic. That's... Uh that's healthy. You have not turned the corner. I've, I've been watching you all morning long. You are very, very careful uh, to never say, oh, yes, that's, uh, I know what that is. You, you seem to be listening as a, as a priest in confessional or as a psychiatrist on the couch without ever committing yourself. Why is that? Well, because if I'm true to the, uh, to scientific principles... You don't say, a scientist doesn't say he believes this, or people who ask me, do you believe in UFOs? Well, belief is a sort of theological sort of thing, and when a scientist says he believes something, he, he means that he has enough evidence now to think that this or that is so. And we're still gathering the evidence. Okay, Dr. Hanek. well, I'll tell you this. Uh, maybe the uh, folks who are observing us uh, didn't like our conversation this morning because driving conditions have absolutely turned to glass. Metaphysical society, do you know,
8: Saul? So? Yeah. Sal, how are you? Just fine. I was with Dr. Alan Hynek in 1972 in uh, London, England, if he recalls, at the Festival of Esoteric Sciences, Uh where there was quite a number of uh, UFO enthusiasts from England that met him there. Do you recall, Doctor? I
1: recall the meeting, but I met so many people at that time.
8: That's right. Well, my uh, affiliation with this whole story goes back from the time of 1947, and my concern and questions were similar to J.P.'s. Why are you here? Well, eventually we were able through an organization or a little group who would meet and rap about the possibilities of being visited. One of our members became what we call a channel through an electromagnetic beam, supposedly beamed to his brain from a craft. You hey, we see were, now, you know,
1: Saw, when you start talking like this, you lose me.
8: Well, just listen to this. Okay. The importance is that we were making supposedly a, a verbal communication through a, an individual, okay? And our concern was, why don't you land, okay? And their indication was that if they were to land, say, downtown the city of Detroit, 70% of the people would want to uh, destroy them for being invaded supposedly by monsters. The other 30%, they indicated, would uh, lay prone and just want to worship them as God, so we were not prepared ready for this kind of a communication with extraterrestrials. Why do people assume that, Sal? I've heard that before. I don't... Uh, that doesn't
1: make a lot of sense, I don't think. Do you think it makes sense? Yes, Why, uh, wh- Do you, Dr. Honey? Uh, well, uh, I suppose uh, they, there are some, if they observe the human race, they know a, we're a warlike group, but uh, I don't think that would be sufficient reason. Well,
8: let's put it this way. Uh, there's 30 years of communication, supposedly, with Uh, identifying objects. I don't call them UFOs. I call them IFOs. They are identified. There's something in the skies, And their communication to us is that what we are seeing are scout ships as opposed to motherships which house these scout ships. They indicate that their motherships are hundreds of miles long. Uh, It becomes what we call a very science fiction phenomenon.
1: Well, I think it would be very important to get testable information from them. If they could give us some information that we can then uh, for instance, if they had told us what exactly what we'd find on Mars before Viking got there that would have been beautiful testable information that we uh, this is the sort of stuff we need so if you are communicating with them Please ask them to give us something that that we don't know about yet
8: All right, let me give you something. Can to, test. Let me give you something that they okay. want us to know, okay? Sure. They want us to know that we're in a tremendous crisis that we're playing with toys supposedly that some crazy can push a button and annihilate our
1: planet. We, we know that already. All right,
8: they know it and they know that we know that and they're hearing their concern about us doing the thing that are proper. They don't wish to play games with us. They don't have to prove their existence. They want us to prove our own existence. Uh, science is always looking for some belief. Let me ask you something, Doctor. When you were uh, on the, uh, the movie was sensational. There's no question about it. It awakened a great deal of understanding and awareness with everyone who's seen it. it. There has to be an effect. The story shows that there had been some craft that was returned to the to the Earth or came back into our dimension. And then off of the great right big ship came these Americans who have now returned. Is that a science fiction story? Is that an it supposedly? Well,
1: a... the, the, that part was pure science fiction. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so, thank you very much for calling. See you soon. Take care. All right. Okay, we're going to go to the weather in a second. You, you've been hanging on for a long yes, time. Yes,
5: I, I really don't care to go on the air, but I do want to report this back oh. in 1965. Well,
1: we're, we're on the air right now, then. If you don't oh. care to go on, I, I will take you off. Yes. Hello? Uh, yeah, I, uh,
2: I've been waiting a long time. i got to make this quick one because my operator is going to come on asking for money. Okay. Um, when I was nine and my brother was eight, they were out in their backyard, and, uh, nobody believed this because of our ages. This was about 10 years ago. I think we might have had a close encounter in the second time, I don't know. We saw a white, blue-white dot, looked about the size of the star, and it seemed to come from off of the horizon to zenith uh, really quickly, uh, in a matter of 10 seconds or so. It wasn't a satellite, it wasn't a meteor, it didn't have any trail got right above us, exactly above us, and we were watching it, and it hovered there for about a second. It just seemed to stop really suddenly. It just stopped. And um, then it started to move on again. Uh, it, it didn't appear to have any acceleration at all or anything. It just went from stop to start and with nothing in between and went, disappeared below the horizon. Meanwhile, there was a second dot where it had been, and it appeared to be descending, and it got bigger, but not much, and then it seemed to get smaller again, and then it into three small dots, and it was descending really rapidly, and we dove for cover, we, and uh, right between where we'd, we'd been standing, three things, things—they might have been a meteor, hit the ground, and uh, we went out there the next day, and there were three small burn spots on the ground in the backyard. You could see the grass. It was it was seared, uh, smoked up, and um, it was a perfect, lateral train. About they were, each that was about the size of a half dollar, and um, for years after that, nothing ever grew in those spots.
1: Well, that, that's a typical story, the, the fact that nothing grows, but did you actually see the things uh, fall? Yes, they fell
2: right between us. We had a very good viewer We were scared out
1: of our wits. Well, this, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Did you report that to anybody?
2: Well, we reported it to our parents, and they said, go to bed, you're dreaming. Uh, we well, were nine stupid. and eight.
1: Nobody believed us. It. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a little old for that report, but uh, the, um, mm. uh, what, what is the situation in those spots now? Are they still there?
2: We moved out of the house. I don't know. I haven't been back. Well,
1: we should go back and take a look and let me know. All right. As a uh, matter of fact, why don't you chronicle your report after you go back and look and write it in the, write it in the letter and send it to uh, Dr. Heineck at the Center for UFO Studies and give the address again, Doctor. It's uh, well, sufficient to say Evanston, Illinois, 60202. Okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you for calling. Dr. Heinick's going to be lecturing at Eastern Michigan University this afternoon, noon, at noontime, close encounter. Do these things teach you anything? Do you learn anything? Every bit of information helps, I suppose. It helps, and uh, 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 We need to get this information because otherwise, what do we, we have to have data to work with. Okay, all right, go ahead, you're on the air. Yes, I
2: had
10: a close encounter when I was in my early teens around 1956, 57. Our near a lake near Ann Arbor, and we were visiting friends, and we had gone outside, we'd been inside, and we went outside, and we saw this dot in the sky, a light, just a, you know, a light, and it was moving very fast, and it was coming from the southwest, headed toward the northeast, and uh, the man that we were visiting was a doctor, and had been a doctor in the Navy, and he had a pair of really excellent binoculars, so he went in and got them, we looked through the binoculars, and we saw A saucer with a dome, with a slight haze on it, moving very fast in in the direction that I just mentioned. And after we saw it, and everybody sat there absolutely in shock, he went in and called the sheriff's department from Marshall County, and um, they had had swamped with calls that evening about unidentified flying objects. So that was. Don't
1: do it. We we ask you not to use the word swamp. (laughs) But. But now, I have to correct you on one point. That would not classify as a close encounter. A close encounter has to be within, say, 500 feet.
10: Right. Well, I was thinking more in the line of an unidentified flying yeah. object. right. Right, something that we couldn't
1: identify. Well, that's an interesting case, but it's a little far off. Both yes, in it time is. And, and I think that
10: was... The man at the, sh- the sheriff's department mentioned that, that most people had seen it through binoculars. Mm-hmm. So, um... But it was interesting anyway. It <laughs> was. Oh, Thank you for
1: coming. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. How come uh, the, the, we seem to be getting so many reports this morning of sightings in the Ann Arbor area? Why would that be? We're, we're in the Ann Arbor area. <laughs> uh, really. Ann, uh, the Ann Arbor area is a very, very tiny uh, portion of this mean. metropolitan area. Well, that's, uh, that's a point. I don't know the answer right. to that. Okay. Can I take you out of the role of a scientist for just a moment? Okay. Let me put you into the role of a man who has been observing, studying UFOs for a great number of years now and ask you to make a couple of logical extrapolations from all this information and project what you think all of this might mean. Well, first of all, when one gets rid of all the static, the noise, the crud, separates as best he can the wheat from the chaff, there's very little wheat left. I mean, there's the, the number of really solid cases are certainly the minority, but they are there. Now those, if you want them to extrapolate, those do represent, if you were to believe them at all, represent some form of intelligence. But where this intelligence is from, whether it is some great distances away, Whether it is much closer, or whether, as some psychologists believe, it may be some product of our own intelligence, some psychic projection from, as Jung said, from the collective unconscious. Uh, That's hard to see because um, the some of the best reports involve physical traces, burns on the ground, and and radar observations and things of that sort. Tough for imagination to do that. Yeah, it'd be tough for imagination to do that. And uh, um, it would be nice to theorize and speculate, but. I can't stop being a scientist. I simply will not extrapolate to the point and say that I think it is this or that any more than if I were a doctor, or a medical doctor, I would say the, uh, I have a cure for cancer, an absolute positive cure for cancer. I don't. And I don't have an answer to the UFO problem either. It, it does seem to you, however, if I read you correctly, that, uh, that it is directed by some sort of intelligence, apparently. Yeah. And that that seems to be the case and the difficulty is that the subject has not been treated professionally. Uh, over the last thirty years it's we've had a carnival of buffoonery in the thing, and for good reason, because the great majority of the reports are nonsense. The cases that are really interesting are so bizarre that it's much easier to try to sweep them under the carpet. And then we are troubled by the cooks and the crackpots and the dinglings uh. who insist muddying up the waters tremendously with their utterly fantastic and stupid, I would say, uh, theories. Well, it appeals to them, obviously. Mm. You know, I'd like to just crawl underneath your skin and know what you really feel. You're very, very careful about how you put things and what you say you should be, I guess. You have have to to remain detached and as objective as you can be. If I lose my scientific credibility, I'm I'm gone, and I, I, there's enough nuts in this world, so I don't want to join that group. <laughs>
8: yeah.
1: As an astronomer, and understanding how large this universe is, does it make sense to you that uh, somewhere that uh, there must be, by the, uh, by the law of probability, figuring the incredible number of planets there are, uh, there must be some other intelligent oh, being yes. somewhere the, the the question you see of the astronomer let, let me give you a little model suppose we made a model of everything that that the astronomer can today see through telescopes and suppose we made that model now as large as the united states then that would put us someplace in kansas and we let new york be as far as out as we can see in one direction and san francisco as far as out as we can see in the other then on that scale in this model the earth would not be visible even in the world's most powerful electron microscope. Okay. Now it is preposterous to think that there's some sub-microscopic speck in Kansas is the only thing on this model that represents life between New York and San Francisco. It would make it would make us absolute cosmic freaks. Your colleagues agree with you completely oh, on yes, that. Absolutely, you are convinced there are then there are many intelligent uh, planets, maybe the entire probabilities systems. probabilities are tremendous. We okay. can't prove it, mm-hmm. but uh, that's uh, there. It. it I think it is, would be terribly egotistical to think that we are the highest intelligences in this entire universe. But see, the problem is not, and I think we can close on this, this statement, that the question is not, are UFOs visitors from outer space? But the question is, what are UFOs? Two different questions. Dr. Hayek, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Fascinating. These past three hours went by like lightning. I remind you again that you can uh, write for the International UFO Reporter. Uh, the uh, magazine monthly review put out on UFO information by Dr. Heinick and his colleagues in the Center for UFO Studies. It's just simply by uh, writing to UFO Reporter, uh, Evanston, Illinois, and the zip code is 60202. Costs you a dollar a copy, $12 a year for a right. subscription. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you. Utterly fascinating.
0: Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you guys want to see photos related to each episode, be sure to follow us on our Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. Next week, we'll have a regular story episode and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Until then, have a good rest of your week and we'll see you then.